the most primary lesson is that the ability to understand that hardship and struggle are a way of life and whatever you do in life whether it is trying to launch a brand or uh, beat your sales target for the month or whatever goal that you may have within the organization there is a substantial hardship and struggle involved if you want to really excel at something this is episode number 103 of the inspiring talk with adventure cyclist dhruv bogra welcome guys to the inspiring talk my name is bijay gautam i am your host for this show each week i interview today's most successful and inspiring personalities to help you realize your inner potential My guest for this week is Dhruv Bogra. Dhruv is an adventure cyclist who had cycled extensively in the Indian Himalayas and Western Ghats on his mountain bike. In 2016, Dhruv left his corporate job to embark on a solo and unsupported 15,000-kilometer cycling from Alaska to Peru. After his challenging cycling adventure, he returned to India and wrote a best-selling book, Grit, Gravel and Gear. Dhruv recently published his second book on his Himalayan adventures on a bicycle called Away. Dhruv has spent the last 30 years working at leading multinationals. He has held many senior leadership roles in the retail industry in the companies such as Titan Industries, Bestseller Retail and Adidas. He is also a speaker who talks about the power of resilience. In this conversation we discuss lesson learned about mental toughness from Dhruv's adventure. how to create your own definition of success how to follow your heart and develop resilience before we jump in if you are listening to this podcast for the first time you may like to subscribe to the show so that you can catch up on a huge library of episodes we have here and if you have been listening for a while it would mean a lot for me if you can leave an honest review and rate the show so that we can reach out to more people now enjoy the conversation Welcome back inside this episode guys. I'm super excited to have with me here Dhruv Bogra. Dhruv, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you Vijay, thanks for inviting me. I'm thrilled to be here. Dhruv, it was great pleasure meeting you in February I suppose at a conference and uh, been following your work and I must say I was inspired a lot to take on adventures after looking at a lot of adventure that you have uh, been on in your life. So what's the next adventure that you are looking at Dhruv? The conference was an amazing experience for me especially to you know share what I've been through some of the adventures that you talk about the arctic to the andes a solo bicycling journey over 14 months was an epic by all standards even uh, when we talk about you know world cyclists who tour a lot so touring is not such a big people in india even in amongst the cycling fraternity really don't know much about touring of course they're beginning to read up about it now so i, I can safely say that i was amongst a handful of pioneers from india who went on such a journey but to answer your question i need to go back a bit in time so when i first started thinking of making this journey in 2015 i had no idea about which route i wanted to take which work part of the world i wanted to travel in and reading blogs magazines also tends to fill you with a sense of awe or inspiration and one such particular image that stuck with me was 
the image of a cyclist on a bicycle, loaded bicycle with all his gear, headed into the Bolivian mountains. And that image stuck with me as the most stark, the most adventurous, romantic, exploratory in nature. And I felt myself getting connected to that that spirit. I said, this is what I want to do. You know, this is the next level of exploration adventure I want to undertake. So that is how the North America to South America route story was born. But prior to that, I was thinking of many other routes, such as the old Silk Route from Xinjiang in China to Turkey, then onwards to London. And then there was the Trans-Siberian Route, which many few cyclists in the world have undertaken because of its remoteness, danger, and lack of supplies on the way. So when I looked at all these, I zeroed on on the North America to South America, Pan-American journey. But yes, the next adventure definitely is a dream, is to go back to a couple of places. One is, you know, do South America thoroughly and properly because I could not go to all the countries I wanted to go to. And I also wanted to go to the tip of the world, the bottommost, southernmost part of the world, Ushuaia. So that's a dream. And the other dream is someday to be able to ride the Trans-Siberian route which is from Vladivostok to St. Petersburg. And it's a very hard and very arduous, dangerous route. But amongst those smaller trips would definitely have to come in. Maybe, you know, once the pandemic uh, restrictions are over, I'm hoping that one day I can go to explore Iceland, Scotland, you know, the highlands, as well as maybe Mongolia. So these are dreams, you know, and but dreams take time to fructify it all depends on your income, your personal status in terms of relationships. There's so many things which are intertwined, actually. Yeah, absolutely. So while you were sharing this, you know, one question that popped on my head, Dhruv, is you were somebody who was doing extremely well in the corporate India and, uh, you know, working with the big companies. And then you decided to go on these epic adventures. And I'm sure when you are on that corporate league, you do have a set a different definition of success. And then you went on this adventure. And then now when I asked about the dream, then you are sharing all these different dreams, right? So now what I would like to understand from you is how that definition of success has evolved over the period of time for you. Maybe, you know, if you can draw that contrast before going on this adventure, what was it that you were chasing in your life? And what is it that you look for now at this point in your life? Yeah. So I think part of it is linked to what I already was from the beginning. Uh, I've had an army background. My father was in the army. We had a different type of upbringing, like many other thousands of kids like me who've come up to the armed forces. For me personally, my, my value structure was never around making money. Not that we never needed it. We always did. But somehow it was just the way I was brought up. And we chased, and I chased more uh, different types of goals, such as, you know, doing well in an organization, contributing significantly, enjoying my work, working in an ethical organization with high integrity. And that is why I ended up working with many multinationals because I felt the value systems, the way they treated the employees was very, very aligned to my ideals of liberty, freedom, uh, personal choice and things like that. And also respect for the individual. And in those days, uh, these companies did play a big role. I worked for the Tatas as well whose value systems resonate very, very strongly with mine as an internal uh, personal value system. So from the beginning itself, I was never really chasing money. I always worked with great brands, but who hardly had great salaries to go with them. But somewhere along the time, and when people have this dream, Vijay, that they want to be uh, super performers and they want to make it all by the age of 40, I never had such a dream. In fact, at the age of 40, I decided I wanted to stop chasing glory 
in terms of title, designation, salaries, but really do what I enjoy doing, which is working with people. And at that point in time, I was, in fact, the CEO of a small company. And I chose to walk away from it because I realized that I wasn't able to do justice to the kind of work I loved doing. And I went back into a role, which is one level down. And I'm glad I did that because it allowed me to step back into life and really become very good at what I was doing. But my journey of detaching myself from glory, the way we we define it in capitalistic world, or success, the way we define it in a corporate world, that was the first step. So it wasn't one major step, snap decision that I took, which was impulsive. It was a culmination of a series of small, small micro decisions that I took along the way, aligning myself to life. And I devoted a lot of my time to my newfound passion for cycling, mountain biking, exploration, hiking, and trekking. And a lot of people came along my way on that path to take me into that journey. You know, they were like angels who came in, you know, or guides who took me into another aspect of life, helping me along on this journey. So when I took the decision to leave my organization where I was a director, to embark on this journey, you know, giving up a six-figure salary, being on the road without any income, with just about enough savings to take me through the time spent that I was going to be out, say, for about a one year and a half. It was, mm. I didn't see it as a bold and risky move. I just saw it as a natural culmination of my desire to embrace what I love doing, experience freedom in the raw sense of the way, and really surrender myself to the universe and say, okay, mm. if this is the quest I'm going on to find a part of myself in this world, I'm sure like they say, the universe conspires to help you along the way. And that's what it did, you know. So it was a phenomenal journey. Uh, it was like Alice stepping into Wonderland or or maybe through Bogra stepping into a world that he did not, did not even know existed, you know. Yeah, yeah. And if you don't walk through that tunnel and you don't walk open that door, no amounts of books, magazines, films can really give you a real glimpse of what that other side of the world is all about. And... That is what I experience and that is what I find the toughest to talk about, to explain to audiences what it feels like. So maybe Alice mm. in Wonderland is a very good example because everyone has read the story at some point, you know. Yeah, sure. So one of the things that you said was you decided to take a break from your corporate job and then go on this adventure where you cycled for 15,000 kilometers from Alaska to Peru um, starting in June of 2016, right? Well, you made it sound easy that, you know what, I said, okay, I'm, I'm just going to do this. I'm sure there's a lot of conversations that happened in your family, uh, maybe with your partner or maybe with your parents. What would you tell them when you go on these adventures uh, like this? What does that conversation look like? Well, definitely, uh, Vijay, no one met the idea with enthusiasm or with great glee. In fact, there were a lot of naysayers, there were a lot of negative comments, not just from family but from friends also. They were aghast that I was walking away from my career and there was a lot of, I would say, pessimism around my idea. And uh, from a a partner perspective anyway, I did not have a partner at that time, which made it easier. But uh, trust me, if I had a partner, I would have convinced her to come along with me. (laughs) So, (laughs) I I don't think... (laughs) So yes, the family resistance was very high, but then you've got to follow the calling in your heart. You have to have the courage to put a rock on your heart and say, but my soul wants this and I need to do it. You know, and mm-hmm. great ideas, great uh, journeys, great expeditions are born out of the journey into the unknown. I, I'm not a Christopher Columbus. I am not Marco Polo. <laughs> 
but you know you can say we are modern day each one of us that the treads out of our home on a bicycle into the mountains or into the desert or whatever we are mini marco polos you know yeah so i'm sure you know you mentioned about naysayers and uh, from the corporate definition of success you were fairly successful and then here you are saying that i'm going to leave all of this and go on this i'm just going to do what cycling from you know north to the south america and uh, for the people who have lived by that definition of success right who who see that is a template for success and this is something that i have been thinking a lot lately on the conversations like this where people see and this has been one of the biggest learning for me while i have conversation with people like you where there is no one template for success and you can create you on template for the success right so what kind of mechanism do you use when you know you hear people say that you know what what you are going to do is not something worth trying and you know this is insane this is not something that you should even think about here you have uh, who try to draw this contrast of saying that here you are fairly successful and you know you are leaving all of this for nothing uh, while you know that is something you know that means a lot for you and i'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this is constantly living on that dilemma where they want to do something what their heart wants what their soul wants as you said and at the same time they can't take that plunge because of their own voice and also the voices outside right is there anything that you'd like to share for the people who are in that situation in their life absolutely vijay and you said it right in the beginning when you said that the success template for each individual is unique there are 7 billion unique templates available in this world and there is no unique template that anyone can exercise to pursue their dreams their passions it is entirely dependent on that person's ecosystem his the way his mind works the way his soul is functioning each soul is on a different journey no soul's journey is the same as the other so that is the most fundamental thing for any individual to recognize that i am unique i am special the second step to fulfilling the life's dreams is to really dwell on the concept of self love self growth and understanding that yes while you have responsibilities of dharma towards your family towards your company or towards your organization or to even if you're in the government but at the end of the day when you are past 60 and you look back at your life after having devoted so many years of your life to your profession when you're alone by your side the world would have forgotten you and so will your soul because you did not listen to it at a very crucial time in your life so it is important to understand that phase of your life and not have any regrets later on so we can be the prime minister of this country you know but not of all but very few will become that it is important to understand that your dreams are yours alone and you must take action on those dreams today if you genuinely believe in the pursuit of happiness and happiness is an elusive goal anyway because if you if you reach one post then you want to be even more happier and then you another post you want to be even more happier but the state of happiness or what i remember reading in a beautiful book written by joseph campbell the state of bliss mm. if you can aspire to be in a state of bliss not happiness but bliss mm. you are on your life's path if programming sitting and, and doing coding 24 hours a day gives you bliss so be it yeah okay if being in the mountains and being like a monk on a bicycle gives you bliss so be it like i said there are 7 billion combinations so each individual has to follow their own heart and not suppress it you know 
And sometimes, Vijay, many of us believe that what we are doing is what we really want to do. And I've been in many transformative workshops with very good coaches and groups. And I have seen my colleagues break down in tears when they have been taken through a transformation journey in two days, saying, but this is not what I wanted to do when I was a child. 90% of participants in a leadership workshop say that. Yeah. And that makes you wonder, then what am I doing here, you know? So, yes, there is economic consequences to every decision, but there is always a way, there's always a balance you can achieve in your life. So, all of us think we are right on the right track, but are we really? Are we really on that right track of what our soul's calling is, you know? Yeah. And the soul calling, a lot of people tend to think of it like running away to the mountains or becoming a monk. No way. But is it, mm. are you pursuing your real passion? Yeah, absolutely. You know, maybe somebody loves pottery, somebody loves coding, somebody loves to just be with children or with animals, but they don't follow their passion. Absolutely. And I can relate so much to that because, you know, I have been on a similar journey where I was winning the race. I was getting a college. I was celebrating those milestones. And and I was not really stopping to ask myself, hey, you know what? Is this really where I wanted to win? Is this really what I wanted to do? And when I did that, and uh, the answer was no, this is not something that I wanted to do with my life. And that's when the whole journey about having conversation with people and finding that template of success for myself began in the form of starting this podcast. And I continue to do so where I keep exploring the different ideas and having conversation. And I think now this is then, you know, what I wanted to do. I realized, you know what, this is something that keeps me bliss. This is something that really makes me happy. I want to share these stories week after week and inspire people or at least touch them in some way, right? So, and as you mentioned, right, Gallup did this survey where it uncovered that out of the world's 1 billion full-time workers, only 15% people are engaged at the work. And that's like a horrible, you know, situation that we are in, where we are forcing ourselves to do something that we don't love for our lifetime. And now I want to take a little bit of a step back and ask you from, I'm sure when you wanted to go on this adventure in a bicycle and, uh, you know, other adventure quests that you went on in your life, what kind of preparation went on that? Because I'm sure you are not somebody who have grown up to become an adventure cyclist, right? But I'm sure you started somewhere. So a lot of people think that, might think that, you know what, this guy has done 15,000 kilometers and, you know, done this for over, what, 400 days, right? And he must be pro at it. But I want you to share where did you began and what's that entire journey of preparation been like for you? How long did you prepare for this entire thing? And what went into it? It's a great question, Vijay, and I'm happy that you set the context and the manner in which you did. I was like anybody else, reasonably fit, okay, you know, gymming out maybe a couple of times a week. Uh, there are a lot of others I know who are much more fitter than me. And fit doesn't mean muscles. Fit doesn't mean being able to run 50 kilometers or a, or a marathon. Fit is about being mentally fit, psychologically prepared for life and also emotionally and also physically stronger being able to take uh, endurance uh, activities. So yes, there are a lot of people who are very, very fit and they could do a lot more than I could. I'm not a big guy. I'm five feet six or six and a half maybe. And I have a very medium frame. So when people look at me in talks physically, they like look up to me and say like, how did this guy do 15,000 kilometers? My trainer, I had taken on a trainer for six months before my journey. Even when I was about to leave, he said, sir, I don't know how you're going to do this. 
you are not ready mm-hmm. i i am actually astounded that you are actually doing this because you are still not flexible okay your body is too stiff your your strength is uh, still a long way to go and i really wish you the best of luck but i'm not sure you're taking a big risk with your body and your your health but i knew i was ready so it was about self belief i knew that i was the fittest at the age of 48 even fitter than when i was 21 so the first thing was uh, what people need to recognize bijay is that the journey didn't start one year before or one and a half years before i took up cycling in 2011 but over the years i went on many mountain biking trips all solo mm-hmm. some were with groups two three of them some many were solo into the himalayas sikkim uttarakhand himachal the western ghats and i think without knowing it i was preparing for something really big in my life i didn't know what it was but i loved being there in the mountains and so the, all the the cycling through the rain getting up at 4:30 in the morning then going to work over a period of years you know before i started the journey i had already done i think approximately 20000 kilometers of cycling uh, and that had prepared my body mentally and physically for hardship the next level of hardship of sleeping on the road or sleeping in a tent was something that i was not used to i had never done that before so that is what i had to prepare for you know the the physical the actual motions and the processes of planning being able to read a map being able to use a knife being able to light a fire being able to have some idea about how to survive in the wild what to eat how to filter water those are technical skills i did not have but mentally and emotionally i was ready for that physically i was kind of ready for the journey so i started that process the technical process of being aware of the journey and its challenges about a year before and for that there were many levels of preparation bejay one was the route itself choose the route because choosing the route determines everything from weather climate terrain because that determines the gear that you're going to carry the kind of bicycle you're going to have and the kind of funds you need to raise depending on which part of the world you're cycling if you're cycling in africa or your fund situation is different if you're cycling in europe you need to budget for 100 euros a day or maybe 80 euros a day depending on which which part of europe you want to cycle in so everything had to start with the route so once i had chosen the route then i knew okay i'm going to start on the arctic i'm going down to the andes i'm starting with almost sub freezing temperatures going into you know a very cold north american winter a fairly cold mexican winter and then i'm going into the desert and then i'm going to the rain and then in the following winter i'm going into the andes which is like going to the himalayas in winter because it's the southern hemisphere so i have to plan gear i have to plan my equipment and when you're on a bicycle bike you're not carrying a jeep with a trailer where you can stash as much as you want you have to limit everything down to maybe 35 40 kilos of gear and 35 40 kilos is like it builds gets built up in seconds you know starting with a small sure. knife to the gas stove to the pots and pans to the clothing maybe the small chromebook that you want to carry so the camera camera itself weighs a kilo you know the tires themselves yeah. weigh a kilo each so it all adds up very 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 fast so you realize that you got to survive on very little and therefore you have to plan the terrain you have to plan the equipment you need in each terrain the kind of tent you need to use which is and it took me two months to decide a tent bijay you know mm. but the right kind of sleeping bag because those things are not available here you can't go into some of these big format sports malls that we have in india one of few of them have opened because they don't have the equipment to rent they okay for car camping they're not mm. okay for outdoor camping you know and there are very few outdoor stores in india so i had to get a lot of my equipment from outside the bicycle itself was made in bangalore by a company called happy earth but again from components from all over the world and you know the right bicycle had to be 
procured the right frame, the hub system, and all that. So the journey itself took about a year to prepare. And then I had to then mm. once all the equipment came, I had to start cycling in the mountains with a fully loaded gear in India to prepare myself for to take. How do you climb a mountain with twenty kilos or thirty kilos of gear when you've never done it? You know. Mm. And uh, another thing that most audiences don't in India don't appreciate is uh, that they don't understand is that. It's not like an NRI who's lived in a particular continent all his life that has done the journey. It's like a guy from Delhi who has done some business travel for four or five days here and there, but never really gone to another continent and lived there. So for me to go into the harshest possible environment in the world on the most dangerous road in the world to the most uncharted territory was a complete mind game. I had to prepare myself mentally for it. You know, I had to get anxious obviously, and I had to plan every mile. Where I'm going to sleep, where I'm going to eat, where I'm going to get my next supplies from, mm-hmm. and I was starting off for the first tour of my life, which I'd never done before, on the world's most unforgiving terrain, thousand mm-hmm. kilometers of nothingness, you know, of remoteness, wow. nothing, you know. There are no people, there are no shops, there are no mobile towers. There's just a gravel road in the middle of nowhere. So when you are going on something as crazy as this, right? So what is your brief to yourself what would you tell to yourself how do you prepare mentally like you know we spoke about the preparing physical side of things right so you know getting the gears and stuff like that but what kind of preparation you know mental preparation you went through how would you train yourself like because yeah. you know that next 1000 km there's going to be nothing yeah. then yeah. what would you tell yourself because there's a lot of risk involved maybe yes. it's wildlife or maybe Rover thieves, all all sort of things can happen, right? Uh, possibly go wrong. Then what you have planned? Then what what kind of brief that you give to yourself in that kind of scenario? The brief comes uh, from uh, from again a different example. I'll give you that the brain and its structure. I think uh, this is a question I've been often asked, and I have thought about it. And the reason is that it did not happen in one stroke. There were thousands of small small things that I did along the way for many years. That prepared my brain to take greater and greater risks. Uh, so the, the thing is, when was the last time you did something for the first time? Is a very very big hmm. motto inside me. Number one, and that also didn't happen by chance, but it happened in a leadership workshop. Number two, uh, I exposed myself to dangers along the way over the years. Whether it was cycling from Manali to Khardungla at eighteen thousand feet, or whether it was cycling in Sikkim with you know high fever. So. I had exposed myself to various levels of danger, maybe not as high a danger as it, but various levels of adventure danger over a period of time. So my resilience and my self belief was very strong. So mm-hmm. when it came to really looking at this journey and saying, "Okay, can I do this?" Frankly, there was no doubt in my mind that I could do it. I had complete confidence. Wow. And the reason for that is that I really read up a lot on it. I had purposely exposed myself to minus seven degree temperature before that, just to see mm-hmm. how it feels. Uh, so yes, there was this belief. How did I create the belief? Very good question. I started exposing myself to danger and to things much before the journey. So one of the things that wow. I did was, was a simulation of the Arctic in January mm. in uh, Uttarakhand, where I took a guide with me and he taught me how to light a fire in the snow, how to find the right firewood, how to set up a tent with freezing hands. Okay, your fingers are numb at minus seven degrees. You know you can't even begin to sort of get your tent together. You know, it's so cold. So, I think all those experiences, which I, you know, uh, really help you to give you the confidence that I can do. It's about training yourself to be able to do something. And these are the 
aspects of life that are brought back to work. Mm. You know, that how do you plan? How do you get into micro details? The details, but in the detail, you know. Yeah, we'll get into that in a moment. But before that, I'll just like to highlight two things that I picked up from you know last couple of minutes of our chat. Where the one thing that I picked up for the people who are looking at going on any sort of adventure or doing something new, not necessarily you have to go on a biking or maybe running marathons or maybe go and do any sort of adventure. Let's just say you just want to switch your career or do something in your life, do something different than what you are doing right now. The first thing that you have shared is try it out on a regular basis. You said like you went on those mini you know, cycling adventures, right? So which kind of prepared you and which is something that you have been doing consistently since 2011 often so that you are not only going on those adventures, but also telling yourself that, you know what, this is something that I do enjoy. This is something that's, you know, giving me this bliss and maybe I can go on a yet another one. That's a really good one. And the second one I picked up was taking a smaller risk over the period of time. And I can so relate to that because that has something really helped me personally as well, right? So, so as I'm speaking with you, I recently went on a bungee jump and... Oh, yes, I, I saw that. Yes. Yeah, jumping off the cliff of 228 meters. And uh, I don't think anybody who has, who have never done any adventure before would just go and, you know, jump on a bungee on day one, right? But what has helped me was I have gone on a river rafting, which is difficult river rafting, which is in Rishikesh, right? I have been on a paragliding, which was yet another. And I think now when you share that, you know, that risk taking ability kind of stacks and it builds, you build that by taking yes. smaller risks. Yes. And yes. then, you know, over the period of time you are now, after I have done the bungee jumping, the next thing that I said, okay, I'm now, next thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to go on a skydive. You see now, wow. you know, wow. I would have never, yeah, I would have never thought about skydiving if I had yes. not done those tiny things and you are always now thinking of a next bigger risk. Um, yes, that's that's yes. really, yeah, that's I think a great point for a lot of people listening to us on uh, and saying that, okay, I should now think about going on this, you know, 15,000 kilometers. Just go on those maybe 15 kilometers or 150 kilometer or maybe 1500 kilometer and then, you know, take a bigger yeah. and bigger risk uh, so that you are preparing your mind. I think that's a great tip out there for people who are looking at preparing themselves mentally whether you want to go on an adventure or whether you want to do something different than what you're doing right now. That's a great suggestion right there. So now, you know, I want to get to the corporate side of things, right? So what are some of the lessons that you have learned on that adventure and how that experience of you going on this adventure had changed you as a leader in, you know, the way you lead the team, how that has evolved or changed? Yeah, I think there's been many lessons, many, many lessons. I think, the most primary lesson is that the ability to understand that hardship and struggle are a way of life. And whatever you do in life, whether it is trying to launch a brand or uh, beat your sales target for the month or whatever goal that you may have within the organization, there is a substantial hardship and struggle involved if you want to really excel at something and you, if you really want to do well. One is used to a lot of bold plans and visions coming from various leaders over the years. But they were never really backed up with micro-detailing or details within the details kind of an approach uh, by a team. And therefore, many teams would falter, they would fail, or perhaps we would have to re go back to the drawing plan. And sometimes, because of this approach, we would not get it right the first time. One of the things that the journey taught me is that there was no room for failure at my end. I had to make sure that various parts of the equipment that I was carrying were fail-safe, that I had chosen them wisely, 
that I'd done my research. Because if my water pump didn't work in the Arctic, I would die of thirst. You know, I have to use the water filter to draw water from glacier waters and streams and things like that. Or if I wasn't carrying the right piece of equipment, I, I would not be able to cook. It would fail. So, you know, it's like working on a project. How do you choose a team that works? How do you choose a certain plan of action or make a project plan that is so detailed that there is very less room for error? And that is the approach that I have brought back to the company that I lead today. It's very annoying for a lot of people. They think from a perspective of saying, okay, this is, you know, because a lot of articles, whether they come in leading magazines, tend to say how to be a better leader, how to let your team do its own creative thinking. But at the end of the day, you are playing with time, you know, and you're playing with resources when you do too much of that. And what I've learned is that if I don't share my knowledge now, then it's a waste. So I need to coach people to understand that you need to allow me to micromanage you, to coach you, to guide you, and then you can do it on your own. So a lot of the detailed way of working that I have developed because of my approach to the journey sometimes tends to get misinterpreted as micromanagement. Okay, so I have to start mm. with that. I'm conscious of that, but I also know that that's the way I can teach them because it's the next level of leadership for them. And now the team has begun to appreciate it, you know. So that is one. So micro-leadership is very important. Get into the details with your team is very important and develop the ability to be gritty, to be resilient and to embrace struggle and hardship. That is very, very critical. And this resonates a lot with the older people, not so much with the younger employees because Mm-hmm. They have a different uh, different mindset and they have a different uh, outlook to life. So I, I obviously face the biggest summit with them. How to make them understand this is a core part of life, you know. And the third thing is humility. Keeping mm-hmm. on the road, being with really in very tough situations where, you know, I barely had enough to eat on some days. Teaches you a lot about and seeing poverty on the road as well, you know, more closely every day than just once in a while sitting behind the windscreen of a car, is is really understanding how learning to be grateful and therefore through that mm. gratefulness, developing humility and understanding that life is about simple pleasures. I don't need to chase the next big car. I don't need to chase the next big house or take that fat loan to fill my life with material assets. You know, so that's another part of it. I haven't changed my car in seven years. I started mm. going to office in a metro and then taking the auto from the metro station to the office as a CEO of this company. And a lot of my employees come in BMWs and uh, Hyundais and whatever. And they would say, sir, we feel a little funny when you come in an auto. I said, that's fine. What's wrong mm. with them? So possibly I'm, there are very few CEOs who land up in office in an auto in the morning, but I do. Yeah. And, I, and I don't wear it as a badge, but I'm just making a statement here that that is one of the rub-offs of the journey that allows me to, yeah. to to live my life like that. Yeah. And I think, I mean, nobody has to follow anyone's way of uh, thinking or any way anyone's uh, way of doing. But again, there's a certain, again, the template that everybody follows a couple of months back, not a couple of months, early this year, I landed at a five-star hotel for a meeting on my bicycle and uh, the parking guys were surprised to see somebody, you know, coming at a five-star hotel on a bicycle. And they were confused mm-hmm. to what to do. Where do, where do yes. I park this? And I think uh, we have kind of really said that, you know what, this is something that's not normal. And yes. and again, you know, I, I often uh, try to challenge that for myself, saying that who defines normal, right? And, you know, the guy took the bicycle to the valet parking. Mm-hmm. He got back and I tipped him off. 
uh, and I rode off my bicycle. And uh, but again, the expressions that you saw on people, right from the guard, like he almost ran to me, stopping. Who is this trespasser coming here? And he asked, "Where exactly. are you headed?" I'm saying, "I'm here. I'm here for meeting." And uh, he wouldn't believe me because yeah. I'm a bicycle. I was supposed yeah. to be in a car, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I think, yeah, uh, humility. I'm, I'm sure is there another thing that um, being out there in the world and seeing how much we have complexed our lives, right? And did that uh, rank to you saying that how much we have complexed our life? Well, you know, here are the people who are way more happier than us. Yes, who don't have as much as we as we do. Tremendously, tremendously. I mean, especially in the First Nations territories in Canada or Mexico or I mean for example Central America the Guatemalan people they they have uh, economies that are still developing in fact even far mm. beyond India in many ways but they are so happy they really look relaxed they are they're always cheerful their lives are far less complex and unfortunately in India we have the opportunity to be like that but our mm. socio economic religious conflicts are uh, bubbling all the time that we have created a very chaotic and very complex society for ourselves whereas the rest of the world is really in many parts of the world that doesn't exist you know it's it's there is peace there is tranquility and the complexity of life that we have created for ourselves is something we need to just slightly step back and reflect on it yeah you know and say like is this the life we really want to lead as individuals and as a society because trust me societies every society has conflict every society yeah we we have we have a very rich culture yeah of exploration we have a very rich culture if you read about the chola kings who sent yeah. expeditions out in the south of india to indonesia and as far as back some people say south america you know uh, we have a spirit of expedition we have a spirit of living in universal harmony I think it's very important that it resonates with all of us. It starts with us because when we start beating to that harmonious beat, it will spread to everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. While we are sharing this, obviously, you know, neither me and nor Dhruv, we are not definitely saying that there is wrong in owning the latest car or you know, getting the new house and all of that stuff. If that resonates with your value system, that's completely fine. Uh, but I guess what. At least for me, what I'm trying to say is don't attach your happiness with those external things. Maybe find exactly. that at least yeah, as yeah, exactly. mentioned in the beginning, right? So it's just that yes, there's yes. nothing wrong in using these tools and stuff like that, but just make sure that it... Absolutely. Yeah. It's my story, you know? Yeah, so uh, it's not being judgmental about anyone and a few respect to the audience. Yeah. Uh, but all I'm saying is, as you rightly said, that just ponder over it and think about yeah. it. But attach the greater meaning to things that have more value for your journey as sure. is what I would recommend. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So, uh, Dhruv, could you share some of the biggest challenges that you have faced in this journey and uh, what are some of the lessons that you have learned out of those uh, challenges? Definitely challenges of, you know, how to deal with loneliness, for example, when you're alone on the journey. Oh, yeah. I think that's uh, that's that would be the biggest one. Yeah. 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 I mean, 14 months you're on your own. Uh, you're generally cut off on many days from your loved ones. So you need to sort of be able to deal with that on your own. And that was one challenge. The second obviously was health because it would suffer once in a while. You know? So I had, I came up with bronchitis, typhoid. Uh, I had a severe reaction to eating some fried grasshoppers in Mexico. So there were health challenges as well. And of course, there were challenges with financial resources as I went along. 
uh, I never had an endless uh, money bank sitting. So I had to be very, very careful with how I, what I spent on and, you know, I could not indulge in luxuries on the way. So those are some of the challenges, but those challenges helped me to sort of look at life differently when I came back. It allowed me to absorb myself, be more resilient. When I came, I, when I came back, which I didn't have a job for six, seven months, took time for people to accept. Even though I had 25 years of experience, seven years of experience in the retail industry, uh, there was some skepticism also when I came back that is this the right guy to get back because he may just disappear again after two years. So I used that time to write a book. Okay. And yeah. I'd already started writing it along the journey. And it was one of the most fulfilling things that I did in my life because it was a dream ever since I was a child to write one. And mm-hmm. the book was called Grid Travel and Gear. It was subsequently published uh, by Crossword and did uh, quite well and have been very well uh, reviewed and accepted, uh, covered by a lot of magazines. So I feel proud of that. Uh, I wrote my second book just a few months ago while the lockdown was in force. It's called Away. So these are just, you know, things that I took up on how to be more self-resilient and how to use my time effectively when I'm by myself, you know. Yeah. And uh, the, those are maybe unknown characteristics that I grew when I was on my own during the journey with no one to talk to and I had to sort of lean on myself and conversations with myself to keep going. Great. So I link up both of the groups. Book one is Great Gravel and Gear. 400 days on a bicycle, right? So I link that up and also the new book away on the description for anybody who's interested in checking the book out. I would highly recommend Troop's book, Great Travel and Gear. You will find beautiful landscape, map. You will just love the way Dhruv has put together this book. So Dhruv, is there anything that you'd like to share with our listeners before we jump in into another section called Enlightening Round, something that we haven't discussed so far? Yeah, sure, Vijay. A couple of things I want to talk about. One is one of the greatest learnings for me from this journey, uh, which is at a macro level, is love for animals and kindness for them. Mm -hmm. And the second is respect for an understanding of our indigenous cultures and the forests they live in. I think these two things resonate and are very, very important to me as an individual today, uh, largely because of my exposure to climate change at a personal level, to cruelty to animals at a personal level, uh, and the effects it has on the planet. And the third is obviously the indigenous cultures uh, in various parts of the world that have been destroyed by societies, advancing societies, whether it is the First Nation people's culture and traditions in Canada and Alaska, or the Maya people in Central America and Mexico. Their culture and traditions are being revived today, okay, because Mm. they see value in preserving them. But there was a time when they were uh, almost vanquished. So I think it's a big lesson for us to go back into our own history and preserve our forests, uh, you know, our, our people who live indigenously and preserve the traditions and cultures. And as people who live in urban India, our exposure to them is very, very little. But uh, they are the heart and soul of the consciousness of the world because the ancient knowledge that rests with them is enormous and immense. Uh, and we must do everything we can to possibly preserve that culture. Great. So, Dhruv, what inspires you to do everything that you do today? I think it's just a feeling of uh, wanting to contribute to humanity and to contribute to inspiring uh, young people to look at life differently. Uh, that, that, you could say, is one of my purposes in life. What is the best piece of advice that you have received in your life? When was the last time you did something for the first time? Wow, I love that. So, Dhruv, 
what was the one wrong belief you have held for the longest time in your life about yourself the tough one but yes there are many of them one of the i think crucial ones is that i can't do this okay so uh, it's beyond beyond me uh, i can't reach it that was that used to be a belief and fragments of it still exist and i'm working on it that i can't do this or this is beyond me right so mm. that, that that belief system is so ingrained in me that i think it was a big stumbling block all my life and mm. i have removed a lot of it and i've chipped away a lot of it but it's still fragments of it are there they keep coming on and off and i and i keep on challenging myself to to overcome that you know what do you want to be remembered for for being an explorer <laughs> yeah sure and and sharing those experiences with people with, with my writings sure So could you share a book or two that has influenced you personally or maybe something that you have read recently that you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Yeah, I mean from a travel perspective there are many books uh, and adventure. Uh, there is a lovely book by Colin Thurbrand called To a Mountain in Tibet uh, which is lovely. Uh, there is also The Hero's Journey by Joseph Campbell which has uh, inspired me greatly. So I would suggest these two books are epic and for different reasons and uh, they bring out the best in us. And of course then there are so many other books which are out there which are absolutely very famous awesome so dhruv if people would like to reach out to you and maybe get few tips about uh, you know cycling or you know they generally want to connect with you and have a chat with you what is the best possible way to reach out to you uh, they can contact me on my instagram handle biking quest b i k i n g quest q u e s t and they can reach out over there they can uh, like my page they can write in to me So I'll just link that up on the description as well. Dhruv, thank you so much for being on the show. Before I let you go, I have one last question that I want to ask you. Uh, so imagine that you are standing on a stadium and this one is the largest stadium that has ever been built in the history of the world. And imagine there are millions of people on that stadium and you are on the stage and you have been given only one minute of the time to share the most important lesson that you have learned in your life. What would be your message? My message would be that is very important for us people in the world to develop a very strong love for our planet to really be kind to our animals and live a more fulfilling life by expressing love and humanity to all to protect our forests our oceans and to love each other and to believe that we need to shed our inhibitions around man imposed restrictions like religion caste you know economic development but actually embrace each other as human beings and really spread love in ways in which we can really be feel proud to feel connected in this world all people in the world are the same they have the same beliefs they have the same fears the same anxieties the same challenges and it's only geographical political lines that separate us but all people in the world are the same they have the same tears they have the same happiness and they have the same things that make them joyful or give them pain they fall in love they fall out of love they have heartache they have dreams and passions so we're all the same but we live different stories it's just a matter of saying that we are all different stories the part of one book and not separate books it was great pleasure having you here dhruv thank you so much for sharing your story and uh, sharing your insights with the audience i'm sure people enjoyed this conversation thanks thanks again for being on the show thank you vijay thank you thanks a lot Dear listener, thank you so much for listening to this conversation with Dhruv Bogra. I hope you learned something or got some inspiration from the episode. If you did, 
Share this episode with your friends by visiting the show notes page at theinspiringtalk.com forward slash 103. If you are listening to this show on Apple Podcast, I would really appreciate if you could leave a review for the show. This helps us reach more people so that they can benefit from the wisdom of our amazing guests. Thank you so much for listening. I'll catch you in the next. Now, go out there and do something inspiring. Inspiring.